Hello, and welcome back to the show, everybody. How's it going? Jessica Stevens here, your host of I Just Blank Now Want the Podcast. And today we have an amazing, wonderful show that is near and dear to my heart because it's all about dance. So for those who do not know, I started ballet classes at the age of three After watching my sister go to dance class and feeling totally left out, my mom decided to enroll me in some baby, baby, baby ballet as well because I just didn't want to feel left out. So I started my dance career at a very, very young age of three. I probably didn't even know what I was doing, but just the fact that I got to dress up in a tutu and swirl around in the studio brought me so much joy. So dance has been a big, big part of my life forever. And I am always so happy to hear when dance has inspired other people as well. So my guest today, Candy Motzek, is sharing her I Just Took a Ballet Class Now What story. And this is her sharing about picking up dance for the very first time in her 40s um, after uh, watching her daughter dance and really enjoy it. So this episode is to inspire all of you out there who think it's too late, you're too old, you've missed the boat, the window of opportunity has closed. It has not, my friend. You literally can go out and learn how to do anything that your heart desires at any age, at any stage. So let's learn a little bit about Candy and then get to her episode. Candy is a best-selling author, podcast host of the show She Coaches Coaches, and a life and business coach for coaches. Candy helps smart people start successful coaching businesses. She believes that coaching transforms lives and that being a coach is a calling. She helps coaches get unstuck and feel more confident so that they can play bigger, sign clients, and create more meaningful success. She is a recovering corporate executive and engineer who combines practical strategy and mindset in her calming, unique approach. So without further ado, let's get to the now what. Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank, now what? Me too, friend, me too. I've had quite a few actually, and in the moment, I never knew what I was gonna do next. Of course, I had to figure it out, sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own, I just blank, now what stories, so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Hey friend, did you just think to yourself, I just love this podcast, now what? Well, I hope you do, and if you did, I got the answer. Become a patron and support the show. For just a $5 financial gift a month, you can access episodes early and without ads. Plus, you'll be entered to win our monthly Patreon giveaway, like books and courses from our guests and some fun merch. For just a $10 a month contribution, you'll become an all-access patron and also get bonus exclusive content from me and some of our guests. Behind the scenes, Q&A, bonus questions, all of it. 
So head over to patreon.com backslash I just blank and now what? Or click on the link in the show notes and become a patron today. All right. Well, hello, Candy. Hi. How's it going over there? It looks like it's a beautiful, sunshiny day where you are as well as where I am. So that's a, it's a good day in my books. Yeah. It does, you know what? It is a gorgeous day here. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Me too. It's been a while. You and I have, you connected, you know, last year, you know, we had a recording date on, on the calendar. It had to get moved because you were traveling and then I was traveling. So I'm so happy that we're now both in the same, same time place that we can actually connect and do this, even though you're on the other side of the country from where I am. I love the virtual world of being able to be connected. So thank you for joining me today. Cool. I'm super excited about our conversation because it's one of my favorite topics, which is dancing. And I have a huge passion for that. So I'm really excited to dig into our chat. But before we do that, I always love for guests to share with the audience a little bit about themselves in their own words, something that you want the people to know about you. Obviously, I just read your amazing bio to everybody. So what else would you like the people to know about Candy? Yeah. And so I think other than the bio, the place is that we get to choose who we want to be. And I started doing that a bunch of years ago. And I think that's a lot of what our topic is going to be today. But allowing yourself to want what you want and be who you are and create, like, create that life that really reflects that. And so I have intentionally been working that for probably 25 years now. And so it, it it's doable, you know, like we forget that we don't have to do the right thing, you know, that major that you chose when you're coming out of university or your grad degree, you can actually do what is right for you. I love that. And I 110% agree. You get to be who, who you want to be and show up as that person every single day. All right. So we're going to get into your story, which is I just started to dance. Now what? And it might seem like a little bit of a, you know, artsy fartsy title for today's show, but it is packed full of some big time therapy and healing for you. So can you lay set the stage for us? You know, what was going on in your life at the time? How were you physically, emotionally, and mentally? And then what, what led you to start to move your feet and dance? And was this, you know, returning to a love of dance or was this like dancing for the first time ever? Yeah. And so, and I just, I really heard that when you said artsy fartsy thing. And I think that that's really fun just before we talk a bit more about dance. And I think that there's this perception that artsy fartsy is light and fluffy and frilly and not meaningful and deep. And I think that it is, right? Like it's just another expression of something wonderful in our life. So mm -hmm. I'm all in for the artsy fartsy as well as all the scientific and technical and all of that stuff. I think there's room for both of it. So, so where I started with dance was I never did formal dance when I was a kid. I think I would have liked to, but I think I was too scared and too shy and too bookworm-ish to do it. And I started at 40. So it was a chance to do something completely different. My daughter was very young at the time, and she was dancing a ton. And 
I was kind of at loose ends. Like I didn't really have a lot on the go other than work and family. And it was something that I could do for myself that was just different. It was different. Mm -hmm. And I like to do different things. And so I signed up for an adult ballet class. And that very first class was all like, oh, so thrilling. It's so great. We had such a great pep talk. And then we stood there at the bar. And there was something in that that just sparked me. And I can't even describe what it was, but I was hooked, just like from that first class. And so that just sparked this love affair of doing something really different. There is not many 40-year-old women who start ballet for the very first time. And I would put on those ballet slippers every week, and I became kind of obsessed. I used to work downtown in the, one of the big towers, and I would stand in the elevator when, it was, when there was nobody else in there mm-hmm. and mentally practice the movements. And so it went from a total beginner, never having done anything, never having stood at the bar, never having thought about how I hold my weight or my posture or anything, to completing four Royal Academy ballet exams. And the final one that I did was an exam on point, and I did all of my exams solo. So that was like, it was crazy. Nobody does that as an adult, right? (laughs) Well, you do. And I'm sure you're inspiring a few other people out there to be like, hmm, what if? Yeah. And people coming back to dance. So many people dance as teenagers and children and love it. And then life happens. And I just, I would love to encourage people to go back to that place of passion. Mm -hmm. So what was going on in your world at the time? You know, obviously, you know, the, you know, the, the inspiration was obviously your, your daughter, right. Seeing her, but obviously there was this other pull to, and this need for some change in your life. What was going on in your environment that was maybe not the most amazing uh, situation that, you know, dance kind of became a bit of your escape and your therapy and the thing that you, that was pulling you. Yeah. So probably the biggest thing is that I was a real rising star in corporate. My history is I am an engineer and, you know, BIPOC female, and things were going really great for me in my career. Every promotion that came along, they were like, yeah, you got to take this promotion. And so I did. And so the money was coming, the titles were coming, that outward success was coming. But the more that that outward success came, the emptier I felt inside. And I was following this path that was kind of handed to me, laid out for me, but I was following it without any introspection. And I think that that was the, that was the, that sort of growing piece of emptiness is just you know, like, do you want this next promotion? Oh, sure. You know, I'll get more money. I'll get this, I'll get that. But like, it was all outward. There was nothing inwardly satisfying. There was no intentional choice about who am I and what do I want? And so that's the place that dance filled. It was that place of creativity. And when you dance, there is you have to be fully present in the moment. And so it was almost that initial introduction to meditation and just really turning inward, being present with yourself in whatever place you are in that now. And so 
it was that outwardly everything looked great and inside it was gross. <laughs> and then there, and then there was this activity that I could do that actually was feeding, you know, feeding my soul, fanning the flame of who I was. Okay. I think so many people can relate to your story in some shape or capacity because so many of us kind of get on the, you know, that belt of your career in the sense of like, you just get on the belt and it just starts moving you in a direction. And then there's these check-in points and you're like, promotion, turn left here. And then you're up on another elevator. And then you like are just moving around as other people dictate, here's where you're going next. Here's what you're doing next. Here's, here's this, and this is what we want you to do. And and it's just kind of put in front of you. So, and we all, we all kind of go along for the ride. Because at the time I can, you know, for my version of the story is, is like, yeah, you know, there was, there was the carrot that was put in front of you and you're like, okay, go, go, go chase the carrot, right? Go, go get it, go get the prize. And you kind of do that. And you're like, wait a minute. I'm like, am I even enjoying this ride? Like, do I even want to be here? Yes. And I think that we almost don't even take the time to even ask that question, right? Like it, it would be kind of shocking to turn down a promotion. No, thanks. I think I'll stay here. Like, then that is like the biggest career limiting move available, right? Like, yeah. you never do a CLM. Never said, do that. Said career. no one ever is like, I'm not no. going to take that promotion. Thank you. Like, yeah. 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 Like, you might as well. It's kind of it's mind boggling to think like nobody does that. Nobody turns down a promotion. The only promotions that I actually really turned down were the ones where I live just outside of Vancouver and they kept flying into town and saying, you know, Candy, the opportunities are so much better over in Toronto. They really wanted me to relocate. That was my only line. Like I was like, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. But who would you be if you turned down that promotion? Right? Like that kind of sets your whole paradigm of how you live your life on its head. Right? For me also, what's coming up of the thought of like turning down a promotion and you saying like no one ever would is feeling obligated to take it because there is somebody else, like maybe three or four offices down the lane who who was like killing and dying for that promotion. So how dare you turn that down? Why aren't you grateful? Mm, Yeah. Why aren't you grateful? Right. But would we ever ask that question? I don't know. What are your, I, I'm curious what your listeners would say is, would they ever even consider that? Or would they consider that sort of almost the unthinkable? Like I'd, I'd have to leave or accept the promotion. Like those are my, <laughs> those are my two binary choices, right? Like there's no, I could just take a lateral move or I could stay where I am like, hello. Yeah. But that was what was showing for me. It was like, of course that you take the promotion, especially because you know that there are like, a lineup of people behind you who are looking at you and been like, I want her job. I want her life. I want like whatever. And then for you, been like, well, no, thanks. And be a little bit like blase about it. Right. So yeah, that would be, that would be a big shocker for most people to actually turn it down. And for me, the thing is like, you know, a, what would other people think of me turning down this promotion? And, and it would come off as a, like, you know, you have this opportunity and you're turning it down. You're wasting this opportunity. And you have so much potential and we want someone like you, you know, female identifying, 
person of color of some way, like you're the role model, you know, like we want to push you higher because we want others to see we need people like possible. you. Yeah. Yeah. We need people up you that like you up there to show you that it is possible. Yeah. Um, despite, s- despite all of the other political machinations that happen in the background. But so that was what was going on in your life at the time, you yeah. know, outwardly, everything is looking tickety boo and wonderful and, and fantastic. But internally, as you said, it was yuck. Talk to me about the act of actually signing up for this dance class. Like what, what were you feeling in your body? Were you like, oh my goodness, like, were you drawn to it? Or were you a bit freaked out and scared of like, what are you doing, Candy? You're 40 years old. Why do you think you can do this? So the adult basic ballet, that was no problem because it was labeled adult basic ballet. (laughs) Where it became a problem was when I started to really be passionate about dance and improving. And I was invited to attend the teenager classes. And so to be invited to go into a class with, in those days, the level that I was at, it was like, obviously, emotionally, I was the maturity of a 40 odd year old woman. But the level of ballet that I was at was about a 10 year old. (laughs) You know, we've got that, we've got that gap. A little bit of a gap. Yeah. So like to actually you know, check my ego at the door and register for a 11-year-old female's ballet class. That was the challenge. And surprisingly, the kids didn't think anything of it. It was me who got all twisted in a knot. The kids were like, yeah, okay, whatever. (laughs) They just moved over and they're like, they kind of looked at me. I'm really short. So there's that, you know, there's that part, but it was my ego. And boy, there were some days that I would be like, thank God it's dark and no one sees me getting out of my car and walking in with my ballet skirt and leotard and and all of that, you know. Who did you kind of become inside of those four walls? Who you like, did you literally become a different person from the outwardly outside engineer candy to candy with all of these other 11 year olds? Like, did you kind of become the 11 year old version of yourself again? No, I became, I became more of me, but not the younger version of me. And I think that there was a place where I learned that sort of that passion and drive to persevere and to practice and improve was is me like I'm a real striver at the best of times and so it it it's like oh those things that I did that had the outside outward success but the hollow inside actually served me well in the place where it was also satisfying inside so it's like I just became more of myself and you know the the some of the big lessons is that there was a lot of people that were like ridiculing me. <laughs> I guess it's the only, not my family. My family was fine. And weirdly enough, my teenage daughter could care less. She was like, okay, whatever, mom. She didn't care less. It didn't bother her at all. Mm-hmm. But it was the other parents, in particular the moms, they thought that that was a very weird thing to do. Like very, very weird, right? Yeah. So they were ridiculing you for showing up and doing these dance classes. Yeah. Why do, why do you think that is? 
Well, because it's a weird thing to do. Let's start with that. (laughs) Do I think they were threatened? No. I think that I'm always a bit of an outlier anyway. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's not, I, I graduated many years ago in engineering and I believe I was the first woman of color that graduated at my local university. I was used to being doing the odd thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there is a lot of comfort in being part of the in crowd. And I've never been part of the in crowd. And I think a lot of the lot of those parents, mothers in particular, were used to being part of like, you know, part of the group. And I was so it threatened that dynamic. Like, why would you do that? Right? Why would you go and do that? My, my guess is maybe that they were a little jealous that you actually had the guts and the courage to go and do this thing and that they probably were maybe secretly dreaming of doing themselves, but, but never did. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. I I remember after the very first ballet exam that I did. So when you prepare for a ballet exam, whether, I mean, as a child, those people work hard as they prepare, they really put in a lot of dedication. And there's a lot of um, ensuring that the their grooming is impeccable and up to standard, and, and they know exactly what to do exactly how to hold their shoes, their, you know, everything that they need as they go into the room. And then they put my birth year on the registration. And I mean, because I was an adult, it was kind of stupid to put me in with the other kids. So I did the exam solo. And it's about 40 minutes of dancing, Mm -hmm. doing the exam exercises. Well, the fun is that I walked in the door to do that exam. And it was me, the examiner is sitting at a table in front of me and the pianist and the poor examiner looked at me. She went, she was like stunned. (laughs) I was not expecting you on my registration page. She's like, I was not expecting you. Yeah. No, I wasn't expecting you to come in here. But I did the exam. And afterwards, I was told that she said that she had forgotten how much she loved to dance and that she was going to go back and talk with her friends. Now, this is somebody who is at the level of an examiner, a Royal Academy of Dance examiner. That is a lifetime achievement, right? Mm -hmm. She was going to go back and she was going to start dance again. You know, like, thing, right? That somebody would go and renew their own passion for something. Well, I'm sure a few listeners who are tuning in today are like, oh yeah, I remember my ballet days, you know, as a teen or preteen. And I, those were some of the most, my joyful moments in life. Let's go back. Yeah. And some, you know, and some of the teenagers, it's their sanctuary. Life is hard and stressful for young people and trying to get the marks and trying to do all the things so they can get on the corporate ladder, but Mm -hmm. they don't quite realize it at that point. And this is the place where they can be present and they can be themselves and be in their body and be grounded, you know, and really in control of the emotion that they're holding and that their energy and their their physical flexibility and strength. Like it's a, it's a really powerful thing to be able to do that. Okay. So I love that you mentioned that. So in taking these dance classes, how did those things impact you at 40 plus of being more present and mindful 
of your own body and your own ability and your own movement? Like, what did you learn about yourself in in these classes? Yeah, so there's, I've always been quite fit. And I and I still continue to be. But there is a moment of, it's this place of movement with music and presence, where you can, without even a real lot of effort, really enter a flow state, you know, that it is timeless. And it is utterly inspiring to go into that state. You know, so once you've accessed that once or twice, it's like the, it's like walking meditation, you know, for people who practice walking meditation, or for, you know, people who practice meditation in any form, there is a place that you get to that is like, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like the gap and you can access it quite easily when you do something like dance because you're so present in the moment and so focused. So I think for me, that was what I learned is that place where your body and your spirit can be so connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what what ripple effects did these dance classes have on your life outside of the studio? Well, there were other adult classes that started up. And so even though I continued to do the ballet with the teenagers, and it was great because as the teenagers grew up, the apparent age gap lessened, which was wonderful. (laughs) But then, you know, we had a, a great group of parents, dads and moms that would come and do other kinds of dance like hip hop and tap and jazz, and we would perform every year. And so it turned into a really fun social circle. And people could just come and play. And I think that, you know, like that's something that a lot of adults don't really get a chance to do. So that was a really good spinoff of it. We COVID changed that, but it was amazing while it lasted. Yeah. So you being the first, you know, adult person at the school (laughs) inspired some of that, those moms from that group and other parents to like, okay, let's, let's do this too. Yeah. Super fun. How about you personally? What, like what? what was the, what were the things that you noticed about yourself or, you know, how did it change even, you know, things that were going on with your career or your life outside the studio? Yeah. So, I mean, it's everything, right? As soon as, if you're having a tough time in any part of your life, having good physical movement, you know, that alignment of good posture is really good for the energy movement within your body as well. And anytime that you're fully present, it allows you to connect back with who you really are. And the who you are really wants you to be connected. So it's looking for any opportunity to do that. As soon as you connect back who you are, then the ripple effect is in everything in your life. It, you know, you're much clearer about the kind of choices that you're going to make or not make. You're clearer in, do I want to change my career or not? I mean, it's one of the reasons I left corporate and became a coach. And your relationships with your family and your friends are so much better just because you're back to being you again. And so I think that that's that's the ripple effect is the more that you're yourself, it transforms the space around you. And, you know, like it, it's kind of like a trite saying, but when you're yourself, other people feel that they can be relaxed in themselves too. And I think that that, that is a ripple effect that just can't be underestimated. Yeah. You, when you show up as yourself, you give other people permission to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that like, that is a saying, 
but it's really true. Like, I wish I could find another really eloquent way of saying it, but I can't. (laughs) Hey, if it works, stick with it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So, so now what? I always love to ask my guests this question. Now what? How long have you been doing, you know, ballet for? Are you still going for more exams? Have you branched out into other dance disciplines? What, what's going on in your world now after taking that first adult ballet class? Yeah. So that was a lot of years ago. And so I danced for really up until COVID. And then when COVID happened, it shut down and I haven't gone back. But part of this was part of my transformation going from corporate leader to coach. And so now I, that's it. This is what I do. I coach people. I love it. I love that coaching conversation, have a podcast. And again, it's like, that's kind of a, right. It's kind of an unusual thing to do even today to have a podcast. Look at all of the episodes that you've done and all of the work that you've put into creating your podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's still a sat- it's a satisfying creative pursuit. So there is that. And I lost my train of thought. Let me just come back. Oh, the on the movement side, one of the things that I do that is, again, like an unusual kind of movement. I love working with kettlebells. I lift weights, I go to the gym. But these days, I'm doing a lot of what's called kettlebell flow. So it's movement with weight and swinging. And it's got a very creative dance approach to it. So like, it's like you dance once and you're going to figure out a way of keeping that type of movement in your life, right? (laughs) All future activity will involve dancing of some shape, form or fashion. Exactly. It's like traditional fitness. You're going to get, get some dance moves in there somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. I think once a dancer, always a dancer. Totally. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So for anyone listening right now, who is feeling like the tingle of inspiration to either get back to dance or try it for the very, very first time. And the imposter syndrome is either kicking in or fear is overriding their brain. What steps or encouragement do you have to share to people right now? Yeah. So I would say go out and find yourself a dance class. Go and find yourself a good quality adult ballet class. Most of the classes that you would get at any local studio are going to be good quality. There are some great studios, adult-oriented studios as well, that you can go to in the major centers. Check them out. Register for the very, very, very beginning. And then go and buy proper ballet slippers, proper tights, and a proper leotard with some sort of a skirt. When you wear that outfit and you show up in the studio, like, who doesn't love a new pair of shoes, right? Like really, (laughs) come on. (laughs) So when you have that, the gear, it sets you up for success. Like don't go in your sweatpants and, you know, or a pair of leggings, like wear dance wear, and then go and commit to doing, you know, some, I would say if you can commit to doing, you know, two eight session packages and really give yourself the time to just enjoy it and know that every single dancer, even, you know, even the, you know, top dancers were those beginning, beginning dancers at one point, and they all had to learn exactly the same moves 
and the moves that you learn as a beginning dancer, you still practice and perfect those moves as an experienced dancer, right? Mm -hmm. Every class starts with the plie, every single class. And so just know that what you're learning is laying that base foundation and that the top dancers continue to practice those moves and they practice them for a reason. They practice mm-hmm. them because they work on your body. They practice them because it keeps you strong and flexible. Go for it. I love that. I am a hundred percent in agreement in terms of like getting the gear and wearing the uniform. Yeah. I'm a former ballet dancer myself. And there is something about those shoes, those tights, putting your hair in the bun that mm-hmm. literally just like puts you in ballet body mode, right? Right. <laughs> and that's for anything. Cause you literally would not like show up for a ski lesson without skis. So mm-hmm. you got to get the, sh- you got to get the gear. I remember learning to ski for the very first time, maybe around like seven or eight years old. And it was obviously rental skis at the ski hill, but like in true Jessica fashion, my rental skis and boots and poles matched my snowsuit. Like it was color coordinated. And like, my mom was like, oh, this is it. She looks the part. So she is officially a skier. And like, by the end of that day, I was like swooshing down that bunny hill. Like I was like, you know, Olympics level athlete because of the confidence that the outfit gave me. Right. Exactly. It allowed you to sort of step into it. Right. Like, you're like, Hey, I'm looking good. I look like a skier. Oh, how does a skier turn? Right? Yeah. But it's And isn't it interesting? Because so as a dancer, as a former ballet dancer, there is something about that when you put that on and you walk in the studio and you put your bag down and you've got your slippers on and you stand at the bar. It's like there's a place of you come home. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember that, you know, so for the so for the listeners who used to dance and are considering going back. I remember some of the teachers would say, no matter what's going on in the outside world, you can come in this studio, you can close the door, and you can come home. You come home to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And adults need that just as much as children and teenagers do. A place to come home to where you stand and it's just you, just you in the bar, nothing Mm -hmm. else, right? It's a real gift. Absolutely. You mentioned something about adults needing to be able to play. Yeah. Let's unpack that a little bit because I am like all for that too. That is something that I totally believe that as we grow up, we turn 18 or 19 and all the fun and games end and we're now adulting. Yeah. And somehow adulting is equal to not fun. So Let's let's like bring. We need to change that. (laughs) I know. I'm like, hey, guess what? World actually, being an adult is super fun. There are so many things that adults get to do that children do not. We need to actually like own fun as an adult again, and that is not just reserved for kids. So, talk to me about how this inspired you to play in other areas of your life. Hmm. I think it's just that everything is lighter, right? Instead of sort of grabbing on to that goal and holding on to it really tight and making making it happen, like you're tying it all into knots, you can just know that there's creativity in everything and you can just kind of allow it to be, you know? And so play is in just that, how you interact with others. You can just be more playful in your interaction or you can just be more playful with yourself instead of just treating yourself so harshly. 
I don't know about you, but, you know, I still have that harsh inner critic that loves to, you know, speak up and jump up every time it feels like it. But you just, you can say, well, well, that's okay. But, you know, like, let's dance around a little bit and then, you know, see how you feel after we dance around a little bit, right? Like Mm -hmm. just treating it so gently like that. Love it. Awesome. All right, Candy. So any last words that you want to share with the audience about this experience of dancing for the first time at the age of 40? Last words. Mm. I think that if there is the inkling that it could be fun, then try it because it will be fun if you allow it to be right. And it kind of allows you to step out of that, like just step to the side slightly about who I am right? Like I can just be that person, but I can also allow myself to inhabit that other version of me too. And to treat yourself lightly and know that if it does sound like fun, it means you're called to do it. Like this is what you're, what you're supposed to do. So just allow it to be fun and go and do it. Yeah. Go and do it. I love it. Yeah. All right. So where can the people find you if they want to connect with you? Where do you like to hang out on the interwebs? Okay. Easiest place is my podcast. It's called She Coaches Coaches. I release episodes every week. That's the easiest place to find me. And of course, I'm on Instagram at Candy Motsek. And I love to hear from people. You can send me DMs. We can chat and just get into community. Awesome. Love it. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a delightful artsy fartsy and deep thoughtful conversation (laughs) all at the same time. Hey guys, if you resonated with this episode, please give it a like, a share, you know, subscribe. And if you know somebody who this episode could really inspire them to make a move and do something new for the very first time, please, please, please share it with them because it may just help them figure out their very own. Now what? That is it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for another I Just Blank Now What episode next week and have an amazing day, everybody. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do, how to move forward and help you answer now what. See you on the next episode.